Let's pray. May the Christ who came amongst us at Christmas meet with us as we gather around the word this morning and inspire us to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Comedian and writer Danny Wallace was down on his luck. His girlfriend had finished with him and he was getting more and more lonely and isolated. He had friends, it was just he was avoiding them. If they asked him to go out, he would make an excuse. Then one night he had a chance encounter on a bus which changed everything. Three words a stranger said to him struck a chord. Say yes more. At that moment, he decided to say yes at every opportunity. He would live as if the word no did not exist. He had to refine that a little along the way. There are times when answering yes will cause needless offence. I mean, if someone says, do you hate me? But on the whole, it transformed his life. He won $45,000. He met the world's only hypnotic dog. He earned a nursing degree and furthered his career by saying yes in business meetings. Saying yes even led him to the biggest question of them all. Do you take this woman? And it even landed him a Hollywood movie starring Jim Carrey when the book he wrote about the experience was adapted for the big screen. The review on the website Goodread about the book says, Yes Man is inspiring proof that a little willingness can take anyone to the most wonderful places. Today we had two readings. In each, there is an offer or an invitation, an opportunity to say yes. However, one of them was declined and the other was accepted. And there was a world of difference between the two. And both passages are familiar to people who have attended carol services down the years, or certainly part of the Isaiah passages. In the New Testament, Isaiah's prophecy about a child to be born and called Emmanuel is seen as pointing towards God sending his long-promised saviour into the world. But when Isaiah first uttered those words, there was a much more immediate context. It was the middle of the 8th century BC. By this stage, Israel had split into two kingdoms. Ten tribes made up the northern kingdom of Israel, sometimes called Ephraim. The other two made up the southern kingdom of Judah. And there could be real hostility between the two. At this stage, Israel had paired up with Syria in a coalition against the superpower in that region, Assyria. They were besieging Jerusalem, trying to force Ahaz of Ju- King Ahaz of Judah to join their coalition. And the people of Judah were quite frightened. They didn't think there was any way they could stand up to Israel and Syria together. Ahaz's instinct was to turn to Assyria for help. Look to the big power in the region to fight for you. And Isaiah goes to Ahaz and says, don't panic. 
The threat isn't going to come to anything. Hold firm. Keep calm. God will look after us. Problem was, it sounded pretty ridiculous. Ahaz didn't believe Isaiah. So Isaiah made him an offer. He said, ask God for a sign. Any sign you want, it can be as big or as small as you like. But Ahaz refuses. He says, no, I won't put the Lord God to the test. It sounds quite virtuous in a way. Does it not echo something which Jesus says when he was faced with his temptations? When Satan suggests he threw himself off the temple roof to prove that God would protect him, Jesus says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. But that's not what's going on here. Basically, Ahaz has his heart set on what he's going to do. It's all very well, the religious freak telling him to trust God. But what does Isaiah know about international affairs? He might be hiding behind pious talk. But at root, Ahaz doesn't want this worldview challenged or shaken. In response, Isaiah says, Okay, you don't want a sign, but God's going to give you one anyway. A young woman's going to get pregnant and have a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And by the time that child is old enough to tell right from wrong, the current threat will have passed. Those nations of which Ahaz is so fearful will be destroyed. And it all happened. Ahaz's wife did indeed have a son, Hezekiah. And before he had matured, Assyria had rendered both those kingdoms powerless. But it was no good for Ahaz. He hadn't listened to Isaiah. He refused to trust God. He leaned on how he thought the world worked. And he had turned to Assyria for help. And they did. But it cost him dearly. Judah effectively became a puppet state for the Assyrian Empire. Ahaz had an, had an invitation to say yes, to open himself to what God wanted to do. But Ahaz turned down the opportunity. He chose to lean entirely on his own understanding, on his own view of how the world worked. He refused to open himself to other possibilities. And he found himself somewhat diminished as a result. The young woman in our second reading could hardly have been more different from Ahaz. Certainly in terms of status, wealth, gender. She even lived in one of those places that people looked down on. Years later, when Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, tells Nathaniel, I found the Messiah, Jesus from Nazareth. What's Nathaniel's first response? Nazareth? Oh, come on. You're having a laugh? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Mary was a powerless, relatively unnoticed, unnoticeable young woman from a remote backwater town. But she was about to be given an opportunity to say yes with the potential to transform not just her life, but the course of history. 
In a sense, Gabriel's announcement that the Messiah was coming should have been great news. This was the hope of Mary's entire nation. It had been for centuries. And nowhere was that hope more fervent than in the district where Mary lived. Galilee had a reputation for being quite radical and volatile politically. That the Messiah would come from Nazareth, that would be a real sickener for all those people who looked down on. Oh, if Mary had been an observer, it would have been fantastic news. She may have even felt a little bit jealous of the girl to whom all this was happening. The thing is, she wasn't a disinterested observer. This was happening to her. Gabriel was stood in her home. He was breaking the news to her. And that was a massive reality check. It turned what should have been cracking news into the worst possible news at the worst possible moment. At first it might not have seemed so bad. You will conceive and give birth to a son, says Gabriel. Well, so what? Hardly massively unpredictable. Mary was getting married. In first century Palestine, family planning meant little more than getting the kids ready for synagogue on time. It wasn't inconceivable, pardon the pun, that within a short period of time Mary would be pregnant. And in the days before ultrasound scans and the like, knowing the gender of the baby would be little more than a nice bonus. But as the whole conversation unfolded, she realises that wasn't quite what Gabriel meant. Maybe it was the titles. Son of the Most High, Throne of David, reigning over the house of Jacob. Doesn't sound much like a carpenter's son. Imagine her thoughts. Suddenly it dawns on her. What about Joseph? What about the wedding? What was he going to say? As excuses go, God's told me I'm going to give birth to the Messiah wasn't going to cut it. From a Jewish perspective, God had been silent for 400 years. It hardly seemed likely he was going to break his silence for a Nazarene teenager. There were lots of reasons why Mary could quite reasonably have said no. She was planning to get married. The one time in her life when she would be lifted anywhere above the ordinary. She didn't ask for a lot out of life. There was no point. But she's being asked to give what little she has up. It can be really easy to praise Mary's acceptance and not fully grasp how big an ask this is. The romantic notions of childhood nativity plays make it easy to underestimate the cost to Mary of accepting what God asked of her. In her culture, Being pregnant and unmarried meant she was damaged goods. No one would want to know her, let alone marry her. Messianic dreams and hopes, they were all very well, but this was her life. It wasn't much, but it was all she had. All those reasons she could have said no. And that's before you get to the finer detail of the situation. It's easy to dismiss Mary as quite passive in all this. But she's actually quite a gutsy young woman. She has to be to go through what she does. And I like the fact that when Gabriel comes to her, she she doesn't react 
in the same way as the men like Zechariah or the shepherds. She's not in abject terror. There's more of a, what is he all about in Mary? Mary may be young. Chances are she was uneducated. But there are two things she did know. She knew where babies came from, and she knew that she hadn't been there. So she's not afraid to ask the question, how will this be? I'm a virgin. There's a world of difference between Mary and Ahaz. Even though what Mary has heard doesn't make much sense and it doesn't fit with her worldview, she doesn't just shut it down. Her response isn't, will this happen or how can this happen? It's, how will it happen? There's a sense of, okay, I believe you. Let's show me how this works. Mary is someone who is faced with an offer, an invitation, the opportunity to say yes. And she has so many reasons to say no. But through her yes, her life is transformed and the life of the world. Through a young, probably quite poor, probably easily overlooked girl from a tiny backwater that everybody looked down on, God was keeping a promise that had been carried by people down through generations to send the promised saviour into the world. In Ahaz and Mary, we have stark examples of what Mary sings about in what we have come to know as the Magnificat. We have examples of the pride being brought down and the humble exalted. At root, part of Ahaz's struggle is that he's simply too proud to seek help, or the help that Isaiah's offering anyway. Oh, we can dress it up in all the pious language, maybe even a bit of God's got better things to do than sort out my problems. Let him help those who really need it. Ahaz thinks, I'll be able to take care of this myself. I'll do it my way. So he says no. And ultimately, he's brought low. Whereas Mary says yes. And her life is transformed. True, that blessing doesn't come easily, nor can it have been especially easy to carry. That yes to Gabriel will be the first of many as the child develops within her and then once he's born, grows through childhood into the man he will develop into. They're examples of God's upside down kingdom where God often works, not in the obvious ways, through the people we would choose but through the ordinary. There was a picture doing the rounds of the internet a few weeks ago of a family, a mother, a father, four children. And the caption said, a family of Turkish immigrants in Germany in 1970. In it, to the right, there was a boy in a yellow t-shirt wearing no shoes. And it says, the boy in the yellow shirt without the shoes is the scientist 
who developed the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID vaccine. I must admit, I was a bit gutted when I found out whilst actually looking for the photo again that it wasn't true, that the child in the photo actually went on to become a mechanic, which itself is a pretty excellent job. But none of it takes away from the fact that it was into a family just like that, that the vaccine which brought such great joy into our world in the last few weeks was made possible. Whilst the great and the good scratched their head and struggled to come up with solutions which would keep the virus at bay for a while, it was from a family like the one in that picture that what we really wanted, what we really hoped for would emerge. And you know, if we were able to travel back in time and take a camera with us and take a picture of the household in which Mary was raised, it may well, in many ways, have looked not entirely dissimilar to that photo. It would certainly have had more in common with it than, say, a photo of a great governmental summit. Yet it was through them that God brought this promised saviour into the world. This year we have been very aware of how reliant we have been on ordinary people. People often we might not in previous years have given a second thought. Those who have worked at all sorts of levels in our hospitals, those who have kept the shop stocked, delivery drivers, lorry drivers involved in distribution, care workers and carers, those who have done simple things like make that phone call, do that shopping. For the last 2,000 years, it has been through very ordinary people that Christ has been brought into the world over and over again. As the love of God is shown and shared and expressed through them. Through all sorts of people who have all sorts of reasons to say no, who have all sorts of reasons to believe that they wouldn't make a difference anyway, many of them probably think that God's being pretty stupid to even ask. But they've given their yes. And so often they look back in awe at how God has used that yes. They have seen God use them in ways far greater than they ever imagined. We've talked a lot about waiting these last few weeks. As each successive candle has been lit, we've watched a period of waiting drawing to a close. By the time next Sunday comes around, Christmas Day will have passed. We'll have lit the white candle. God kept his promise. So what hopes, longings, yearnings have you carried through this Advent season? What have you perhaps carried so long that the hope has started to fade? Is there anything that you've sensed God's been saying to you? Something that is placed on your heart, but it, it just seems so far-fetched. Too much. Stuff that perhaps life and experience have worn you down to a world-weary cynicism about. You've been here before. You know how this works. 
that perhaps you're being invited to allow God to break into that situation, that hope, that longing, that yearning. Being invited to change the tone of that, how shall this be? From, that's impossible. To go on then, show me how it works. You're being invited to offer God your yes. And that may not be easy. It may mean reiterating that yes over and over again and recommitting yourself to it. But that yes might just take you to some of the most surprising and wonderful places of your life. This Christmas, may Christ come to us again. May he come to you again. May you offer your yes and may you find yourself waiting in awestruck anticipation of what God can do with it. Grace and peace to you. Happy Christmas. Amen.